Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. So, you want to be a spiritual man. You want to live fully in God, in Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. You are on this spiritual maturity growth track. Well, that's all good, but let me ask you this question. In this pursuit of being a spiritual man, what is your response to God when He asks something of you? What is your response when God gives you a kind of a task or a mandate or an objective and he sends you somewhere and he asks perhaps something that contradicts you, something that challenges you and is perhaps even outside of your comfort zone and even your strength zone? How do you respond to God? Do you respond with a yes? Do you respond with a no? Why? But? What if? Because that is indicative of actually how much you really have matured in God. I think we have a misnomer as to what a mature person in God is, even what a spiritual man in God might be. We think a spiritual man dresses a certain way, or he has maybe a collar around his neck, or maybe he has a title pastor or reverend or bishop. We think a spiritual man is maybe somebody that's on a platform, that has a podium, that has maybe a a broadcast or a radio or a television or a congregation um, kind of a setting. Surely that is a spiritual man. Surely that is a spiritual woman. But for me, a A spiritual man is a very common, ordinary person, perhaps even somebody in the workforce, perhaps even somebody in college. And what classifies you as spiritual is not the many titles in front of your name. What classifies you as a spiritual man and woman is how much of your carnality has been dealt with. That is, how much of the no and the what if and the buts are dealt with in your life versus the yes? A spiritual man is not some mystical, weird guru. A spiritual man is simply someone who, when God approaches them, they just say, Yes, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. I think of Mary when that angel announced the most amazing message to her, Mary, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. Initially, she shows us the the carnal, the human, the natural side of things when she contended with the angel, that is Gabriel, how can this be? But eventually he explained it to her that this will be a thing of the Holy Spirit. And eventually he left her with no choice and she just said, Yes, Lord, then let it be done to me. That is what I'm after today. How often does God ask things of you and you have the spirit and disposition of Mary? Yes, Lord. You, I don't need an explanation. You don't have to, um, to, to, to prove yourself. Whatever you say, yes, Lord. 
I want to talk to you for just a minute first about the Apostle Paul and use him as an example of somebody who didn't have it all together. And if we can be honest, God asked a lot from this man. Actually, um, as we study the life of the Apostle Paul, it, it at times appears as though God almost asked the impossible from this man. And at times it even appears as though God is not even with this man for all the calamities that has uh, befallen this man. But his attitude always was yes. His heart always was yes, Lord. And you'll notice through the writings of Paul, particularly if you're in the second letter to the Corinthians, you really see the, the, the core and heart of this man. He's never bitter at God. God never really owes him another explanation. He never lived with an interrogation mindset before God that God owes him an explanation. It's as though whatever God asked of him, like Mary, he would always say, Yes, Lord, let it be done to me. I trust you. I want to direct your attention here to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know it well, you've heard it before, but I want to reiterate it one more time. Verse 7, because of the transcendence of the revelations, in order that I might not be exceedingly lifted up, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. That is an assignment against the apostle. Um, perhaps it was a physical calamity. Um, I am open to that, but it was more than just a physical calamity. It was actually a messenger. That is, it was probably kinsmen from his own Jewish people that came against his message of Christ only. And it's as though everywhere Paul went, there was this just this infiltration to, to, to undermine um, Paul's message, Paul's gospel, and Paul saw it really as a messenger from Satan. Now, if an assignment from Satan comes against you and I today, would you and I not plead with God for a, a deliverance from that satanic uh, uh, antagonism? Surely you would do that. I, I, I've done that, and surely you've done that, and I would expect no less from the apostle. So he says, there's this messenger from Satan. Perhaps it was a, a group of people, but maybe more specifically, a person who perhaps went everywhere Paul preached and, and said, no, get circumcised. No, keep the law of Moses. No, keep the Sabbath and eat kosher. It was a messenger. Paul says, that messenger was sent to vex me, to harass me. Your Bible may even say, buffet me. That is just time and again, just pound you and, and be against you. And it, it's a hindrance and a frustration to Paul's gospel ministry. And Paul says this messenger was permitted to come against Paul so that Paul would not be lifted up and get a big head because of all the revelations Paul received. Now, I want to fix your attention to verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8. Concerning this messenger from Satan, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. No doubt, if you and I were harassed 
over and over again. No doubt we would be fasting and praying and we would ask folk to intercede for our deliverance from this antagonizing onslaught of Satan. And I believe as believers in God, we have a right to petition the Lord. We have a right to squash a snake and scorpion under our feet. We have a right to be protected by God. And the apostle here is taking advantage of his covenant right in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so should you. And so should I. And three times, maybe in prayer, kind of like Jesus, three times pray to the Father, remove this cup, deliver me from this cup. Even Paul, three times, maybe it was on one occasion or maybe it was over a course of time, that he pleaded earnestly with the Lord, please deliver me from this assignment against me. And I want you to notice God's response. I never cease to be amazed by this response. God said to me, that is to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In a nutshell, God said no. No, I am not going to stop the assignment against you, Paul. Now, how would you feel if an onslaught from Satan comes against you and you plead with God and God says to you, in a way, no. What you, what you need is not deliverance from the circumstance. What you need is just my grace. From God's perspective, grace trumps your circumstance. And God's grace who strengthens you trumps the, the weakness uh, that you may feel in the flesh against this onslaught from Satan. Now, please don't take my words out of context. I, 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 I'm speaking just the encounter here with Paul. What I want you to notice is, of course, God does not just constantly allow Satan to harass us. And of course, when we plead with God, he delivers us. But I want you to notice the apostle's response. He doesn't fight God. He doesn't interrogate God. He doesn't get all mean and confused uh, uh, about God. He's not bitter and vindictive against God. Obviously, um, if the Lord had spoken, Paul was in his mind and heart. He was calibrated to a full yes to God. Somehow God had proven to this man over and over again, you can trust me. By the way, if the Lord asks something of you that seemingly is above your pay grade and above your strength, um, it's, it's really the Lord saying, hey, um, I think you have what it takes in spirit to get through this assignment. And I've proven myself over and over again. You can trust me. And so God just says, um, no, no. All you need is grace. You don't need deliverance. You need more grace. That is, you don't need the removal of the negative. You need more of the infusion of the positive. You need more grace and you need more of God's strength. And you will not know God's grace, nor will you know God's strength if you are not in a predicament of onslaught and vexation and harassment and even weakness. Paul is not bitter. You get nowhere in Paul's letters that this man is bitter. He doesn't even ask God much of the time why and, and, and when. It's as though he just lays down. 
This is a spiritual man. This is a man who's grown in God. This is a man who trusts God when God gives no explanation. Can I ask you, are you a spiritual man? Are you a man who can just say, Okay, God. Yes, Lord. Let it be done to me then. Paul would say here, Most gladly then, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may hover and dwell and tabernacle over me. Therefore, I am well pleased in my weaknesses. I mean, who talks like that? Who really out there says, I am pleased when, when things are tough? I am pleased when I don't have answers. I am pleased when I don't get the breakthrough. There's not many uh, folk out there, even for myself, when God puts me sometimes in a, in a tough situation. I want instant deliverance. I even minister and preach at my school, and when I speak all over the country, I tell people it is the burden of God to deliver you. But this apostle would say, I am pleased. That means he trusted God on a whole new level. He had insight into the sovereignty, into the protection of God on a whole new level. And Paul had revelation that if God is not delivering me, then obviously something of God is wanting to be revealed to me or made real to me or made habit and made lifestyle and practical in me. So obviously I'm in this predicament of satanic onslaught for some purpose of God. It's not that the Lord has forgotten about me or overlooked me or I'm not forgotten or forsaken. It's as though God is right here and he's allowing the difficulty to bring about greater dependency and greater revelation. Beloved, I marvel at this man, the Apostle Paul. I'm well pleased in my weaknesses and insults and in my persecutions and in my distress. Because I know that when I am weak, I am actually powerful. This is a spiritual man. God asked him to accept this assignment. And he just said, okay. No doubt in his humanity, he pleaded, oh God, do something for me. But in spirit, when God said no, he said, okay. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul uh, um, speaks further regarding this issue of suffering. And um, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in our earthen vessels, so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are pressed on every side. But we are not constricted. I'm unable to find a way out, but I'm not utterly without a way out. I am persecuted. And he's talking at large here about the apostles even. He says, we are persecuted. But in our persecution, we are not abandoned by God. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. And we're always bearing in the body the putting to death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Notice how he says death is working on us 
and we are being persecuted. But somehow Paul had a revelation that even if a grain of seed was to fall into the ground, and there is this pressure to break the the husk, uh, the the um, the the shell of that seed. Paul saw himself just all this, uh, even the satanic onslaught is just the breaking of my outer man, so that there could be the release of life through me. I marvel at the mindset of this man. He truly was a spiritual man. He saw really according to the spirit. He says, for we who are alive are always being delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. We're always being killed in some way, shape, or form. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in and through our mortal flesh. What a perspective. This is a spiritual man. When God said, go left, the spiritual man goes left, even if it walks him through uh, a cross, uh, through a Red Sea, through suffering. Where the carnal man, no matter what God asks of the carnal man, no matter what assignment comes against the carnal man, he's always looking for an excuse. Paul says here in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4 that we don't lose heart. I just don't lose heart. I marvel at that. With all of the satanic assignments against this man, with all of the persecution and the struggle and the pain and the, yeah, he didn't lose heart. Why? A a spiritual man sees more than what the eye sees. A spiritual man has revelation. He sees into another dimension. And he, I want to tell you this, a spiritual man trusts God, or at least He's learning to trust God, or he has learned to trust God. Paul knew that he's not going to die until it is his time. So no matter what vexes him, what harasses him, and what befalls him, Paul knew God was going to keep this man until his last breath. And so Paul didn't lose heart. He had vision. He had deep insight into the things of God. And I want to tell you, your yes to God in the unknown, is very much predicated on your vision beyond the here and now. If you cannot see and understand and trust beyond your comfort zone, beyond the challenges of the here and now, you will not go left when God says go left. You will probably be like the many and cart off to the right. Paul says we don't lose heart. Even though our outer man is decaying, Yet my inner man, our inner man, is being renewed day by day. This is a spiritual man. The circumstance does not let up. And yes, the circumstance breaks the outer man. It even hurts the outer outer man. But somehow Paul was calibrated that no matter what happened to him, his inner man was calibrated unto life. That is, even though the negative was working on the outside, from within, the positive, the resurrection, the eternal, the life-giving power of the Spirit was working. This is a spiritual man. I am not there yet. Are you? What is your response when... 
there's an assignment of a kind of a circumstance against you. Are you one of those that complain? Well, in a way, complaining, God takes it very personally. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Paul says, even though my outer man is decaying, my inner man is being renewed. I'm not complaining. I'm not griping. I'm staying the course. Why? Because I can trust God's intentions. I can trust the heart of God. I love what Paul is saying here in verse 17. For our momentary lightness of affliction works out for us a more and more surpassing and eternal weight of glory. In a way, as the pressure is increasing from the outside, Paul saw it in direct relation to the growing of his inner man. I hardly find people who are calibrated like this. In a way, we're probably still spiritual infants. When God says no to us, when God gives us assignments, so many of us, we pitch a fit, we complain, we gripe, and we never see that the, the pressure is to make us lean more into grace. The pressure is to, to make us lean more into God so that we don't boast, so that we can glory that I made this through. It's as though daily God, in the strangest of ways, is facilitating a Red Sea in front of us, an army behind us, and mountains to our left and our right. There is no escape. And in a way, we are all between a rock and a hard place. We're all in a mission impossible situation with this life. And I think God loves putting us in these situations. But what will you and I do? Will we complain? Will we gripe? Will we, will we find fault? Will we say, but? Or will we be like Mary and say, yes? Will we be like the apostle and say, bring it on. I'm going to lean more into grace and I will lean more into the strength of God. Paul would say, glory is working in me when death is working about me. I marvel at this man's understanding of the ways of God. Most of us, we get so offended with God. And Jesus would even say to us, you know, when I don't deliver you, John the baptizer, when I don't show up in your life and perform a miracle and just change the circumstance, Jesus would say to all of us who at times, like John the baptizer, are between a rock and a hard place and our our neck is on the line, God would say to us, blessed is he who is not offended with me. Paul says in verse 18 of uh, 2 Corinthians 4, we do not regard the things which are seen. I don't look at the things which are seen. I don't formulate my understanding of God based on my circumstance. I don't interpret God because or through my circumstance. God is God. The circumstance may be a messenger from Satan. But that doesn't change my trust in God. It doesn't change God's loving kindness or goodness or his affection or his sovereignty over me. I trust God. I don't look at the things which are seen. I look at the things which are not seen. 
Paul would say in chapter 5 and verse 7 that we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, when God doesn't answer you, when God doesn't show up in your life, I teach even at the school, when God comes across a little bit mystical to you and you want answers and vision and breakthrough and sight, when the mystical is operative, beloved, hear me, God is provoking faith in you because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And listen to me, faith is not always just the secret to get out of the circumstance. Faith is to believe in God through the circumstance. Most of us see faith as a get out of uh, prison free card, and often it is not. Faith does not always deliver us. You know that from Hebrews 11. Faith does not always open up the Red Sea. Faith does not always obliterate the army uh, behind us or the mountains on our left and our right. Faith doesn't always make things easy. Faith doesn't always give the promotion and the healing. And Faith doesn't always deliver us from the prison like John the Baptizer. But blessed is the man who can keep faith and even suffer in faith. Be tried in faith and crucified in faith. Because this is what pleases God, not you and I's circumstantial deliverance, but our inner man calibrated with a big yes to God. Paul says, when I look at the things that are temporary versus the things that are eternal. It's as though I'm looking just with the natural eye. But somehow through all of life, this man had learned to look at things from the eternal perspective. Why? Because Paul saw himself as seated with God in the heavenlies. Paul saw himself as dead in Christ and alive and resurrected, and, and in Christ, in God, Paul genuinely saw things from God's perspective. And this is a spiritual man who doesn't just see it from Satan and his messenger and harassment's perspective, but a spiritual man through time and through trust has learned to see from the heavenlies. I live by faith. Paul would even say to all of us who are just, to all of us who are righteous in Christ Jesus, that the, the just shall live by faith. Of course, by faith we become right with God. But we also now live because of that faith. We become alive and we ongoingly live by faith. Paul would even say in Galatians 2 verse 20, even though I live in the flesh, I live by faith. And it's not just a kind of a faith that I make up in a kind of a positive, you know, mindset, just mind over matter faith. Paul would say in Galatians 2, I live by faith, the faith of the Son of God. It's not even my own faith. It's, it's the faith of God in Christ, by Spirit, in me, this vessel in which this excellent treasure resides. In closing, 
Are you a spiritual man? Well, then can I ask you, how do you respond when God asks something of you? When God says, stop this habit, put down that brownie, turn down that music, turn off that show, put down that book, go on this walk, ask forgiveness to that one, humble yourself before this one. How long does it take for you to obey? How long does it take for you to Sort this out with God before you can, with conviction, say, yes, Lord. I submit to you the time frame that it takes for you to make peace with God's word or assignment or challenge. That time is indicative of your spiritual maturity. But hey, maybe that's a little bit too abstract for you. Let me ask you something a little bit more on the practical side of things now. Here just my burden here. When your parents ask you to do something, how long does it take for you to say yes? Because in that delay of your yes, you are probably trained to cultivate this habit of a delayed and even a partial yes before God. Can I ask you, when your boss asks you to be on time, when the manual asks you to put in overtime, to go the extra mile. When, let's say, somebody in authority asks something of you that contradicts, that does challenge you and maybe even stretches your comfort zone, do you rebut? Do you add a but? Do you add excuses? Are you looking for a way out, a a plan B? How contentious are you when somebody just asks you to do something? Well, that's a good indication probably of the habits of yes versus no within you. And to some extent, we all carry our daily habits into our walk with God. If you have quick yeses to those who are an authority, a teacher, a professor, a boss, if you have delayed yeses, a kind of a rhythm, a kind of a habit, a kind of a lifestyle is, 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 is very much bedrock within you that you carry, by and large, into your walk with God. So it's one thing to say, oh, I always obey God. Be careful now. Wait a minute. Don't uh, deceive yourselves here. Don't, uh, don't think of yourselves more highly, Paul would say. Consider your interpersonal relationships with others. Now, many of you are asked, as much as I am asked certain things, it's one thing to say yes in word and then to just sort of be begrudging on the inside. Okay, I'll do this. But inside, there's not a yes. I want to tell you in God, your verbal and your dispositional yes need to really whistle to the same tune. Or how do you say, march to the same drumbeat? You can't say yes to your parents. Yes, I'll clean my room and then slam your door en route to cleaning your room. Notice how your inner man and your outer man has to become one before God for it to really be a resounding yes. 
In our next time together, I will give you a few more examples of people who've said yes to God, people who've complained, people who self-pity themselves. No matter what God asks of them, they always <laughs> make an excuse. And, and that's really um, an issue of an insecure, self-pitying view of themselves. And on the other hand, it is really indicative of um, trust in God that is still not mature. Beloved, you better believe that if you are walking with God, He's going to ask some tough stuff from you. Press you a little bit, shake you a little bit, turn you upside down, squeeze you into environments that's not quite your cup of tea. He has to do that. Why? So that grace can be realized. And you can begin to discover grace is not just a song. Grace is a reality. The strength of God is not just some kind of a Sunday school lesson. The strength of God is a, a reality that has to become your portion. And it will only become your portion when um, you and I at times experience very difficult situations. Beloved, are you a spiritual man? Then let me ask you, how is your yes nowadays before God? Because remember, whenever you say yes, at the same time you're also saying no to something. And remember that whenever you say no to God, later God, but God, why? Whenever you say no, you might at the same time also be saying yes to something else. Yes to the flesh. Yes to the self, the I, the me. Yes to my way, my will, my glory. Yes to my comfort. Whatever you're saying yes to, you're saying no to something else and vice versa. Beloved, are you a spiritual man? Mm-hmm.